the professionals of professionalism proudly present Lewis Howard Live. Your crisp communicator with principal insights for pop culture with a tech edge. And now a man who needs no introduction, Lewis. Howard, you are joining another edition of Lewis Howard Live. And uh, I think we've reached our 600th episode, right? Yeah, blow my own applause there. So, yeah, 600 episodes of some variation of our show. I think uh, starting in 2009, we have uh, brought it to you from uh, different places. Started out in my living room. And now we have a beautiful studio that we get to bring the show in. And we've had a number of guests over the years, over the past 10 years, to get us to this number. And as I said, we have over 100,000 listeners. That is enough people to fill a soccer stadium if they were playing, but they're not. So before I jump into it, the weird thing for all you baseball fans out there, I got to see the first baseball game. I believe it was uh, the uh, Dodgers. And uh, I can't remember who they were playing, but it was the weirdest thing because, as we know, we're in COVID-19. And so we have some stay at home protocols and things that have to be, you know, put into place. And one of the things is no gathering of people, no large gatherings. So the creative minds on the broadcast decided to put fake people. Right. So we had fake people on the first three rows of the stadium. And then, of course, the empty seats on top. So when they hit a home run, they go up and there's nothing but empty seats. So it's kind of a weird way, but people still seem to enjoy it and follow the game because you're watching the pitcher and, the, you know, the, the first baseman go at it. So seems to work, but it is a little weird. Where is the crowd? Where is the booze? Where is the odds, right? So that is missing. But at least sports is coming back. Hey, today's show is um, a little bit different. I've been doing a lot of different variations of the show. You know, as, as many of you have listened to the show, I do a lot of how-to, motivating, inspiration uh, conversations. And I've been taking a cue from our culture and where we are in, uh, first of all, the pandemic, this historic pandemic that's never happened in the history of our nation and our world, and uh, the loss of life. And still, we don't have a vaccine as of this show. They're working on it, but they don't have a vaccine. And so we continue to deal with that uh, day in and day out. Uh, As I like to say, this day becomes that day and becomes the next day. They just all seem to run together. But let's not forget the reality is that 145,000 Americans have lost their lives, right? And some half a million around the world. So it's a real thing, and it continues to be real. And as I said in previous shows, some people either hunker down or they're acting like they're partying like it's 1999. 
And uh, so there are extremes, and then there's others that are wise on it. But what it has made me reflect is on our nation and how we respond to crisis and how we view one another uh, when we are in challenges. So I today's show is going to be called The Hypocrisy of Our Democracy. And before I start the show, make no mistake about it, I love America. I believe that America is a shining city on a hill. I believe it is a model for the rest of the world in many respects. We are not perfect, but it's one of the best things going. And as I've said in many shows, people don't take broken down raggedy boats trying to get to Canada or trying to get to Australia, but they will do that to get to America, right? As imperfect as we are. So remember, as part of the conversation and part of what we are experiencing right now in the form of social justice, reform, protests, uh, some anarchist behavior, some lawlessness, some good, some bad, some ugly, right? As we always do, right? Uh, deal with uh, certain things. So I just want to talk about our American democracy today. So it's kind of like a history lesson, but it's going to have some um, takeaways that I think you can benefit from in your own uh, life and in your own sort of existence. So our democracy uh, began uh, many centuries ago, right? So our democracy is defined as a political system or a system of decision-making with an institution or organization of a country in which all members have an equal share of power. That is what true democracy is. And so how that power is expressed is we all can vote. We all have a say. We all have freedom of speech, freedom of expression, which we're seeing right now throughout our country, freedom of peaceful protest. We can protest against things we don't like. We can elect people to represent us that we like. That's our democracy, right? What makes that different than others? Well, you have places that that's not the case. If you are living in a country with a dictator, you don't get a vote. You don't get a say. You get to be told what to do and how you're going to do it. There are countries that are ruled by oligarchy, one individual that stays in power forever. We have countries ruled by monarchies, right? The Britain is a monarch, and it is a royal family that has ruled for centuries and will continue to rule. But America is a democracy where we can, as a people, have a say. And I'm really centering the show around this equal share of power. So much of what you're going to hear is going to be related to that one sentence. Historians say democracy uh, got its birthplace really among the Romans and Greeks. I have a new friend that is Greek, and everything he says, the Greek invented it. Everything. He will start. You can't. Anything you say, he'll say, the Greeks invented it. But truly, uh, it history is reflecting that that democracy was founded in among the Romans and the Greeks in the 18th century. France formalized it. 
but America perfected it. America perfected democracy because we are the example of democracy around the world, not the Romans, not the Greeks, and not France. We are. And why is that, right? One reason is, is because early on when the democracy was created in 1788 or whatever uh, in our nation, we had an easy transfer of presidential power between political parties. That is the marking of democracy. Haven't you seen shows where a president or a dictator is supposed to leave office but refuses to leave? The military has to go in and get him, or we have nations where you have a coup, where the military takes over running the nation until a new leader is installed. It's how Cuba was founded. Fidel Castro was part of a coup that took over, right? America doesn't have that. We don't have lifetime dictators. We don't have lifetime presidents. We don't have lifetime uh, leaders that rule a country. So what makes our democracy different, one of the things is our peaceful transfer of power. Unlike upheavals in past that have come in France and Britain early days, that there was no peaceful transfer of power. Right? So in recent times, we've seen the transfer of power from George W. Bush, the 43rd president of the United States in 2008, to Barack Hussein Obama, the nation's first man of color as the 44th president. That was a peaceful transfer of power. They weren't up there duking it out in the White House. It was a formalized ceremonial change of power. We saw the same thing as Barack Obama exited his second term, even though he was one of the most popular presidents in modern history. I would say next to Reagan and Clinton, peaceful transfer of power to the current 45th president of the United States, Donald J. Trump. Now, regardless of your politics, regardless what you think of the parties and what you think of the individuals, you would have to say our democracy works because we transfer power. But we have some problems in our democracy. And so when I come back from break, we're going to jump into a couple of parts. And as I mentioned at the outset, if I didn't, I'll remind you that we're going to do this in two parts. I'll give you a few points today, and you can tune back in next week, and then we'll get the second part out to you. But the good point is our democracy does work, and our democracy does have some good things that is associated with it. Hey, you're listening to Lewis Howard Live. Stay with us. We're going to take a quick break, give a shout out to a couple of our sponsors, and then we will be right back to jump into the hypocrisy of our democracy.
Lewis Howard of Lewis Howard Live has partnered with Amazon Books to bring you his dynamic, life-changing book. From Here to There is the best-selling biopic journey of Lewis Howard's road from adopted child in poverty to achieving over a billion dollars in real estate assets. Lewis shares his secrets and principles, which helped make his meteoric rise to the top an inspiration to millions. Lewis Howard, From Here to There, available on Amazon Books at createspace.com slash 450-6888. Get it today. Hey, you are joining Lewis Howard Live, and shout out to all of our first-time listeners and downloaders and sharers of the show. We do encourage you to continue to tune in and check us out, and uh, sharing is caring. So go ahead and share the show with people that you like and people that you want to have part of the conversation. There's always at least one thought we can give you that I think will make yeah, some sum of difference. And I really appreciate the emails that I have received. And many of you have called me. Many of you have caught me on the street and uh, said that you appreciate the show. And I do appreciate bringing the show to you. All right. So today we're talking about the hypocrisy in our democracy. In this age of social justice and reform and things going on, we have observed some things. I've observed some things, right? So let's talk about hypocrisy of, of democracy and where I got that term from, because it's not, it's a new term. I'm going to groundbreak that term. A lot of people don't use that, but they will start to use it because I'm going to share it and I will uh, express to you why that's such a good term. All right. I first heard the phrase hypocrisy of our democracy years ago while listening to comedian Chris Rock. Uh, doing a stand-up show, he talked about it, and he casually mentioned the hypocrisy of our democracy. Well, that phrase stuck with me. And through my own lens, I started to study and observe where hypocrisies have been in my own life and in the lives of people I work with and people that I socialize with and, of course, our political and business system. Where is the hypocrisy? What is the hypocrisy, right? How can we call that hypocrisy? Well, hypocrisy is, is really simply a person who takes a moral stand um, but does not conform to it in their own life. In other words, it's pretense, right? So the term stuck with me, and I begin to just to see how many double standards are democracy in the U.S. around the world. Hypocrisy just, again, is the practice of claiming to have a moral standard or belief to which one's own behavior does not conform. If we say one thing and we do another, we are hypocrite, right? My grandmother used to use that term quickly. You hypocrite. You say you want to do this, but now you're doing this, right? So we catch people. If a husband or wife catches each other in a lie or doing something wrong, they will quickly use that term. You're a hypocrite. You're lying. You're a hypocrite. Okay? So we call people out in terms of hypocrisy. But as a nation, we have some hypocrisy. And there used to be this term is what's good for the goose is good for the gander. And what that means is what's good for one 
is good for the other. What's good for a man is good for a woman. What's good for this person is good for that person. That really is kind of the premise of our democracy because we're all members of it. And so if prosperity is good for you, prosperity should be good for me. If justice is good for you, then justice should be good for me. That's not the case in America. So in America, what is good for the goose is not always good for the gander. Let's find out a couple places. Let's take a look. Number one is our justice system. Yeah, let's start with that. Our justice system is represented by Lady Justice. Okay, that is the statuesque symbol that you see uh, on many courthouses, special federal courthouses in the Supreme Court, and it is Lady Justice. And Lady Justice is an allegorical personification of the moral force in judge judicial systems with judges and lawyers and prosecutors, right? So Lady Justice is supposed to represent the high moral force to bring justice. Justice is supposed to be blind, okay? That's the other we see. Lady Justice is blind. She doesn't know the difference between colors and race and creeds and ethnicity and black and white, Jew or Gentile. Lady Justice is supposed to be blind, right? Sir Matthew Hale, an early historian of the law, wrote, it is better for five guilty persons that should escape unpunished than one person should die, okay? So under that premise of law, it would be better to let five guilty men go free than to punish one innocent person. This is our justice system. So I'm just laying the facts of what our justice system is supposed to be. Number three is there's a presumption of innocence in our justice system. So if you are alleged or accused of a crime, then the presumption of innocence says that you are innocent until you are proven guilty through our blind justice system. Okay, I can hear some of you laughing already going, well, that is not the case, right? But that is the premise of our democracy. And it also creates the hypocrisy in our democracy. Why? Because you can pick up your local news, your social media, and you can see most people who have been accused of something in what is now being created called the court of public opinion is guilty. We decide if the person did it or not long before they ever go to trial. That's not right. That is hypocrisy. You can't, uh, I don't care what the evidence says, presumption of innocence under the law says I'm innocent until you prove I ran the red light, until you prove I stole the thing, until you prove I did the thing for which I am charged. That does not happen and especially for people of lower economic circumstances and people of color. It is a problem because if you don't have the resources, then you will be subject to the biases and prejudice and shortcomings of the justice system created under our democracy. 
We go around the world and we dispense justice to dictators and other people who do people wrong. And yet, in our own backyard, we have problems in our own judicial system. Why? Because if I am rich and I am wealthy and I am well-connected and I get in trouble, I can hire a PR company. I can hire an attorney. I can hire other mouthpieces. I can hire a spokesman for the family to speak for me, even if I'm sitting in jail, right? That will work out things on my behalf. That can hire investigators. That can do a lot of different things to expose truth or demonstrate my innocence. You po, P-O po, you're going straight to jail. And you're going to sit there until trial, and you're probably going to do it without bail. Okay, that's the difference. Same justice system, same justice system, but it's it, it's managed in different way depending on what resources I can bring to bear. Okay, that's not me. I'm not making this up, right? And I'm not swinging one cause or another. I'm just telling you the reality. There's a group called the Innocence Project. Guys, go look it up. You can Google it. The Innocence Project is a 501c uh, legal organization that is committed to exonerating individuals whose claims have been wrongly uh, to be claimed to be wrongly convicted of crimes and released through DNA testing. Right. And it is also part of reforming the criminal justice system to prevent future injustices to date. This organization has freed 360 people in the United States that have been exonerated by DNA testing, including 21 who were serving time on death row. Now, think about that for a second. If it were not for this Innocence Project, those 21 individuals on death row would be on death row or gone. Okay, And yet they were innocent of the crime. So we're not living up to Sir Matthew Hale's premise of five guilty go free uh, and one to avoid one from being on death row. That doesn't seem like that that lines up. So that's an hypocrisy in our democracy. What's good for the goose is not good for the gander when it takes an innocent project to um, free 367 people. I have followed stories over the last 15 years of people that did 20, 30, 40 years in prison for a crime that they did not commit. Let me say that again. They did not commit. They did 30 years for that. Could you imagine you doing 30 years for something that you have claimed that you were innocent all along? One of my favorite movies is Shawshank Redemption. And it is just that thing where one of the actors... Tim Robbins does 20 years for a crime of killing his wife that he didn't even do. 20 years. It was somebody else the whole time. How do you live like that? How do you respect your nation and your world when you're sitting behind bars over a crime you did not commit? Right? And how do you put your life together? Because here's what happens when you get accused of a crime in America in the 21st century. Your life gets turned upside down. 
Your whole history is exposed. People are putting you on blast left and right. They are painting a picture of you that is most likely evil, dark, and criminalized, no matter how good you've been, no matter how much you've paid your taxes, no matter how honorable you have been. When you get in the light of criminality, you are guilty, guilty, guilty. That's not what Lady Justice is about. That's not what justice should be about. And even when these individuals clear their name, they never get their life back. And no one ever apologizes to them for taking their life apart limb by limb. In politics, it's a sport right now. That's what we do, right? But in life, that's real life. That, that is real life to really take some. I've seen too many stories of it where you just take a person's life to, apart and then it never comes back together. It's not justice. It's not justice. The man spends 30 years in prison and gets out and nobody ever apologizes to him. No one says, hey, we made a mistake, right? No one comes back and reconciles. Now, in modern uh, times here, we have, you know, some recompense that they offer people. But, man, even if you give me $10 million, that doesn't take away 30 years. That guy went in when there was no cell phones, <laughs> when there was no internet, right? When McDonald's was a tiny franchise. And he comes about out, and he's got to deal with a whole new world that's going 100 miles an hour. He went into prison doing 30, okay? So that's the difference of Lady Justice. All right, so you say, well, that's old. Let me tell you something that just happened. All right. So recently, because of COVID-19, many inmates that have been incarcerated in prison have been asking to be released because of COVID-19. All right. If you just join us, we're talking about the hypocrisy of our democracy in America, even though we've got the best model of democracy around the world. And I love our nation. We got some hypocrisy here that really needs to be dealt with. So along with all the social reform, on the agenda ought to be some of the items we're talking about right now. Because people were trying to get out of prison due to COVID-19. And prison system had not really dealt with that. And let me just tell you what the prison system is. The prison system is a business. And the inmates are assets. Okay, They cannot let the inmates go because that's their asset. That's how they stay in business. We have privatized prisons, and we have institutional government prisons. But they're a business. And inmates, yeah, part of the business once you get in it. That's why sometimes people don't understand why they get stuck into the judicial system and you can't get out, because it's a business. It's not designed to get you out. If you get if you get caught in it, it's not designed to ever let you go. You have to fight like hell to get out of that thing. I know. I experienced it as a young man, and it took me forever to get out of that thing. Okay. No matter what I did, there was always something I was doing wrong. Okay. So COVID-19. So as of now, 21 states have released inmates uh, on a state level. 12 states released inmates uh, on a local level. 11 states have not released inmates due to coronavirus at all. Two states has prohibited the release of certain inmate populations. Four states has temporarily released certain populations of the inmates. Where's the hypocrisy? Again, if I'm a person of means and resources and money, I can hire the best attorney to go fight on my behalf. 
we're seeing top tier government and rich and influential people get released from prison. Meanwhile, people of color and PO po folk, you ain't getting out because you don't you can't fight. You don't have the money. You may have the cause. You may have the need. Your need may be greater than the person walking out of the door that did a white collar crime or something else. But you can't go free because you don't have the resources. That's an hypocrisy of our democracy. So just starting with that is a whole conversation. And I know I'm probably missing different elements of it. And the whole thing was I wasn't trying to cover every aspect of, of justice, because I know there's a lot more crimes that people are charged with and so forth, disparity between that. But I just want to shine a little bit of light on the hypocrisy of our democracy. So justice is not blind. And the reason why justice is not blind, because justice is administered by human beings who, whose hearts and minds are flawed. And they're flawed with their own bias, their own prejudices, their own racism. Everybody is a racist to some degree. Everybody is biased to some degree. Everybody has prejudices to some degree. And if you say you are not, you are not being honest. But the difference is your bias and prejudice and even your racist views should not impact your ability to administer justice fairly for an individual. The color of their skin should not matter. Their gender should not matter. Their economic status should not matter. And yet, we're seeing more and more of it in our culture where it does. And now we have what we call activist judges, where activist judges are trying to use the bench to make things right, and they're not making things right. They're really making things worse. Okay, So that is the hypocrisy of our democracy when it comes to justice. In 2018, uh, African-American males counted for 34% of the total male prison population. Uh, white males were 29% of the total population, and Hispanic males made up of 24% of the population. Got way too many people behind bars for things that they shouldn't be behind bars. Now, don't get me wrong. There are some things that some people should be behind bars for, right? I have several things in my head. If, if, you're, if you've done that, you should be behind bars. You messing with children? Behind bars. You, you, you're committing homicides and murders? You're behind bars, right? But if you are selling a little bit of drugs to feed your family, I'm not sure you ought to do 30 years for that. I think there should be another way to deal with that because we don't treat white-collar crimes that way. We treat drug crimes harder than we do white-collar crimes. That's an imbalance in our justice. The other hypocrisy, uh, as, before I go to break here, is there, the federal system of justice runs one way, right? It runs pretty blanket across the United States. But state and local enforcement of justice, it's all over the map because each of them are left up to the states of how they want to administer justice. Even in Canada, which is made of, of provinces, which is a form of states, they typically follow what the national mood 
our politics and power and laws go, but not in America, right? We want that independence. So states operate independent. We're seeing how cities will operate right now with the whole social justice reform and protest movement and how some cities are just letting it happen. Others are saying, not on my watch. So we're not even equal in how we apply and administer our own local and city justice. Hey, stay with me. We're going to take a quick break. And when I come back, we're going to wrap up. We're going to talk about the haves and the have-nots. Somewhere I hear Tyler Perry going, yeah, cool, because he got that show, the have and have-nots. But, hey, you're listening to Lewis Howard Live. Stay with us. We'll take a quick shout-out to our sponsors, who we appreciate. And we're going to jump right back in and wrap up our part one of Hypocrisy in Our Democracy. The Millionaire Club Charity is one of Seattle's oldest existing charities. In addition to job placement and employment services, the Millionaire Club provides job training and licensing to help workers become qualified and job ready, from nutritious meals and sack lunches to housing assistance to stabilize their lives. Despite its name, the donors to the Millionaire Club are ordinary citizens with a desire and passion to help fellow citizens overcome the barriers of employment and housing. For more information, call 206-728-JOBS or go to millionaireclub.org. You know, I couldn't wait to get up and do another program, another show, another podcast that is going around the world, and I am so honored for this time in history to have this platform to be able to reach out to our nation and around the world. We're reaching 10 countries as you always say, or I always tell you, and then we're on about 15 different platforms and we'll continue to add to those daily and more fuss stuff coming in the future. But we're talking about today is the hypocrisy in our democracy. What do we live with every day that is seemingly in conflict with each other based on the founding of our Constitution? So, I gave you a good monologue and kind of a good foundation to it. And we talked about justice, the hypocrisy within our justice system and how it favors people who have money and wealth and resources and connections and does not favor those who uh, come from lower economic positions or happen to be brown skinned individuals. Okay. So, That creates a problem when we cannot dispense justice, which is supposed to be blind. Okay, so if you missed that part of it, you can go back and get uh, that part of the show. All right. We're going to wrap up today talking about the have and the have nots. Okay, who are the haves and who are the have nots? And what is the difference between the two of them? Well, people who have little money and few possessions are referred to as the have-nots, okay? And people who have a lot of money and a lot of possessions are considered the haves, okay? Those who have it and those who have it not. America is turning into a nation of haves and have-nots. That's not what the Constitution is founded on. That's not what our democracy is founded on. The Constitution says all men, all women are created equal. The democracy says we should all be members and participating in the American dream 
and the American prosperity. But that is not happening. There is a hypocrisy there. We say one thing about the American dream and about prosperity and the money, but we live it a whole different way. All right, I grew up in the have-nots. I grew up on the wrong side of the track. I grew up in a family that was lower economic, lower middle class. My uh, One of my fathers, I had a couple of them, worked at a, a meat packing plant. And so he went to work every day, came home, and rinse and repeat, did it over again. And typically, made just enough money to pay the bills and have a little fun on the weekend. One of the movies that I appreciate is the movie called Fences. And it's with Denzel Washington. And he really portrays this family in the, I think it's the 50s or the 60s, and how they lived in America at that point, and how they lived as a have-not and existed among people who were haves. Most of the time you see have-nots tend to live in the same neighborhoods together. They're not living among the rich. They're usually in urban places, um, segregated sort of population, even though that's not a legal housing term and permitted, still happens. People congregate and it ends up being segregated because it's just one group or one race. You can go to places still in America today and you will go where areas are predominantly black or predominantly white or predominantly Hispanic or predominantly Asian. They've segregated those off. Now, many of those people, not all of them, but they don't have very much, right? Most of them on some type of government assistance, government support, government subsidy. They're the have-nots, okay? Part of one of the organizations I am associated with, we help people that are affordable uh, housing options for people that have been homeless, people that have fallen in America, people that are definitely in the have-not category. We provide housing for them. And many of those people, they have no possessions beyond what they have in that house, Okay, so that's America, right? Where we got this great land of prosperity and influence. We got so much wealth in America, it ain't even funny. We have trillions of dollars worth of wealth in America, okay? But you just need to turn on the television. Like I was, you know, teeing up Tyler Perry's a show called The Have and Have Nots. You can go watch The Kardashians. Um, you can go watch the real housewives of Orange County, Beverly Hills, New Jersey, New York, Georgia, Texas, right? And it demonstrates a life of what? The haves. They got so much money. They have so much resources. They can buy whatever car they want. They can buy whatever house they want. They can travel. They can go and do whatever they want. I will give you a little insight on the haves because I was raised by... Uh, uh, mentored by multimillionaires and wealthy people. If you think there's drama in po folks' house, there is equally or more drama in the haves' house. Even though they have all the money and all the resources, there is drama upon drama upon drama. I used to listen to my mentor's kids say, we can't, we hate him, but we have to stay around him till he dies so we can be in the will. 
Okay, that was their whole motive, motivation of hanging around their dad, so they could make sure they were in the will, so they could get a piece of the inheritance. Okay, seriously, that's, that's a true story. So you see the drama, and while it's interesting, it's a bit troubling because you're saying here are these people with all of this money and all these resources, and what are they doing with it? Should they even have it in the first place? Okay. But you've become in this category of halves. There's a responsibility that happens when you become a half. Okay? And here's the deal, the other thing about halves. They don't like poor people. They don't like them. They don't like them. They don't want to be around them. They don't want to be associated with them. As poor people that they come around is usually their staff. Their maids, their servants, their people who do the things for them. That's as close as they get to poor people. I'm serious. That is as close, right? They do not go drive around the hood. They don't go down to Brooklyn and play basketball down there with the brothers. They just don't do that. They don't associate it with it. So there is a disconnect between the haves and the have-nots because they just don't hang out together. And usually when they cross paths, it's odd. It's kind of uncomfortable because one doesn't know how to relate to the other. I'm fortunate because I'm one of those individuals that I can step across both lines. I can sit with the wealthy and eat caviar and lobster and the finest things that this world has to offer, and I have enjoyed it. But I can also stop with a guy on the street with a sign that says, give me a job or give me some money, and I can stop and talk to that guy for five or ten minutes about his life and what he wants to do. Okay? That's not everybody. But I am wired that way because I realize be a bridge between those two people. And I believe that's part of what my call is to be a bridge, to help the rich understand and use their resources to help the poor and also help the have-nots get a, get a dream, get a plan, so they can get across that bridge to themselves become a have. I love it when I see people move from the have-nots to the haves. And they're kind of funny, right? We see that with lottery. Lottery is probably the quickest way you can see a have-not move to the have. Because all of a sudden, they had no money, and they got $200 million in lottery. And you can see it. There's a show called What the Bleep the Lottery Did to My Life. And you can see how these have-nots, so many people lived in trailer parks. <laughs> they lived on the street. And all of a sudden, they got money. And then they got real money. And they have no idea what to do with the money. Because all of a sudden, they can buy anything they want. They grew up having to eat bologna sandwiches. And suddenly, they can buy anything. They can have anything. It, it, it's challenging. And most of them, did you know, after 10 years, they become back to a have-not. Isn't that sad? They go from a have-not They've spent their life in a have-not. They get to the have part of life, and then they end up going back because they don't understand how to keep that money, and that money escapes. Where the haves, they will kill you to keep the money. They know how to preserve it. They will, they will do whatever it takes to keep their money. They will not lose their lifestyle. You will have to take it from them, but they will not give it up. They will find a way to keep their money. So 
you're either in the have class or you're in the have not, right? Are you moving over, right? Most people with higher education, and I was going to talk about this a little, but they're not rich. They're highly educated, and they may have good-paying jobs. They're not rich, okay? And so this is another part of our hypocrisy with the have and the have-nots, right? That people, that they tell you, go get a job, go get, an, you know, go get an education, and you'll get a good job, and you'll make lots of money. That's not always true. That is not always true. Meanwhile, you have people who dropped out of school and became billionaires, just to name a few, Bill Gates, Steve Jobs, Mark Zuckerberg. You know who that guy is, right? He's the owner, CEO, and chairman of Facebook, right? You own it every day. And, and some of you on Facebook are telling your kids to go get an education and hounding them to go to college. Meanwhile, they're clicking on and setting up pages on a guy that didn't even finish school. That's an hypocrisy in our democracy. How do you explain that? How do you explain to a kid that they got to go to school and they need to get an education to be somebody? And I don't care what color the kid is at this point. You're telling this kid, meanwhile, they're sitting in front of a Dell computer that Michael Dell dropped out of college at age 19. And they're sitting in front of his computer trying to figure out how to get a college degree. That's our hypocrisy in our democracy. That you're sitting there telling this kid something that ain't real. I get education is an important foundation, but don't lie to your child and tell them that by getting education, they're going to suddenly become a half, because that is not necessarily the case. And it's demonstrated that sometimes when people drop out of school, they actually become a half. Okay, so we have to kind of get this thing straight in our heads because you ruin your credibility as a parent, as an adult and as a leader. If you are espousing views that, number one, you didn't finish school, you dropped out, you got a education, but you make forty thousand dollars a year. Okay, it's a hypocrisy. You can't do that. You got to be transparent. You got to be honest. And if the honest answer is, kid, I should have stayed in school and I dropped out because your mom, you know, got with child and we had to go do some things. And if I had to do it all over again, I probably would go to school or I dropped out on purpose because I wanted to be an entrepreneur. Be honest with your kids because they're going to figure it out anyway. OK, they're going to figure out the lie that you've told, and now your credibility is ruined at a time where you maybe need them to really listen to you. Because now they have access to all this information, social media. They can go out and draw their own conclusions and their own opinions, and a lot of times it don't line up with yours. All right, that's part one today, and thank you for joining us and being part of the conversation. We'll be back to wrap up part two next week on the next edition of Lewis Howard Live. Don't forget, sharing is caring. Share the program with a friend. Email a friend, MP3, and however you got to get it to them. We got 15 platforms we're on. I think Apple's probably the biggest one that we're on, so you can get us seven days a week. You can't miss us. So thank you for joining us, being part of the conversation. I'm Lewis Howard of Lewis Howard Live. We'll see you again next week on another edition of Lewis Howard. Bye.